You're listening to Two for Tea. I'm your host, Iona Italia, and I'm assisted behind the scenes by my sound engineer, Justin Ward. This is a podcast about politics, society, science, and art, and about how everyone is wrong apart from us. I hope to provide a forum for calm, reasonable voices from across the political spectrum and counter the current atmosphere of frenzied partisanship and hysteria. Welcome to the conversation. Hello, everyone. My guest this week, coming to us from Paris, is Frédéric Romain Martin. He also goes by Fred Martin. And I'm going to call him Fred today. Welcome, Fred. Hello, Iona. Should I should I say Iona? Yes, that's that's perfect. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, Fred was born in Haiti, and he came to live in France when he was twelve. Um, he used to be a teacher in the French education system for more than a decade. Um, he taught in French in state schools, right? Am I correct, Fred? Exactly. Um, and I chose, I invited Fred on here to talk about French secularism, following in particular the beheading of Samuel Paty and the controversy over um, a recent speech of Macron's, which Macron made actually before the beheading in October of last year, uh, announcing a raft of new measures and I guess strengthening and reaffirming of older measures to uphold French secular values in the light of, in particular, Islamic radicalization. Although these laws don't single out Muslims, but as Macron himself says, it's kind of silly to pretend that um, all religions are equally likely to radicalize their adherents at this point in history in this place in the world, and this point in history. So I, I invited Fred on because um, I have found him a well-informed and very careful commentator on these events for years, um, ever since the 2017 um, massacre at the Charlie Hebdo offices, when um, Fred wrote a very... Um, powerful, simple but powerful um, open letter. It's called an open letter to an, to an American friend in defense of Charlie Hebdo. And I will obviously link that and everything else that we may mention um, and all the materials that I'm drawing on in the show notes. So I recommend you uh, read that. After the death of Samuel Paty, I was... I, I recalled a passage from that letter. This is, this is you, Fred. Did you know that I am now officially a target of ISIS? They released a statement calling their followers to kill French teachers in the public school system because they are guilty of polluting young Muslim minds by spreading secular values. I am personally at risk because I expose my Muslim students to the liberal secular values of the French Republic. I am happy and proud to do it in spite of this risk. For non-Muslims and secularists, to comply with Islamic restrictions is not tolerance, it's submission. Um, f fantastic 
That's a, it's a really powerful and wonderful um, uh, essay or open letter. Thank you very much. It actually, so- it actually sounds better when you read it. <laughs> um, well, you're welcome to... Re- well, wait till I do some French quotation. You're going to weep. Okay. I make French people cry with my pronunciation. Um, my French is, um, as, as background to this, uh, to this episode, since we're going to be drawing on quite a lot of French sources, um, just to be clear to readers, uh, to listeners that I have read and listened to everything in the original French. Um, my passive, my understanding of French is pretty good. Um, and I do work freelance as a, um, French to English translator, among other things. Um, so I'm I'm pretty good at understanding French, but as you will hear, my French accent is awful, and my spoken French is really not fluent. I can hold a really kind of not very sophisticated conversation, groping around for vocabulary all of the time in a horrible accent. So, <laughs> but that but my French comprehension is 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 pretty high. Um, I can certainly listen to and read things without needing to look things up in the dictionary. But most of the sources do have English translations and Macron's speeches, which we're going to be talking about in a moment, um, are on YouTube with auto-generated English subtitles. I don't know how good those subtitles are, but I think they might help you to get the gist and I really urge you to go and listen to the original speeches because having listened to them, I realized that much of the commentary that I have read in the UK and US press um, was written by people who clearly either have not listened to, to Macron's speech itself or are deliberately misrepresenting what was said. Um, so that's one reason why I've asked you on because uh, you are very familiar with both this, both Mac- what Macron is specifically talking about and the background in French, um, in in uh, the French education system and in in um, French secularism in general. So let's start with Macron's um, October speech, his controversial. October speech. Macron talks about, frequently alludes to what he calls la, um, I'm going to pronounce this horribly, la neutralité des services publics. Um, yes. The neutrality of public services. Tell us about what that means and implies in France. This is one of the principles of French secularism, which is laïcité. Um, and uh, basically what it says is that when you're, in, when you're employed by the state, when you're a civil servant, uh, which means that you're an agent of the state and you represent the French state, you're supposed to be neutral. You know, uh, you're supposed you're not supposed to uh, display um, allegiance to any kind of ideology, political or religious. So, and this is the thing that you know the Anglo-Saxons not get to is that they they keep talking about the religious side of things, but that's only because they tend to separate religion from other sets of ideas. Uh, whereas in France we do not. When I was a civil servant myself, um, I, you know, w- one of my duties was neutrality. Uh, 
you know, and uh, it had, so it doesn't mean, it, it means that I, I, I'm not allowed, I wasn't allowed to display, um, you know, um, allegiance to religious ideology, but also political affiliation as well. And uh, because religion is just another set of ideas and not an immutable characteristic. Mm. Yes, I think that's that's an important part. Um, that's a, that's a very important point. What kinds of um, religious displays are not permitted uh, to uh, public servants in the in during the exercise of their duties? All kinds. Anything that's really conspicuous and can be really seen. For example, if somebody has a, cr- a small cr- a cross necklace and you know, and people don't see it, no problem. I mean, I mean, it's under the clothes or whatever. But if somebody really wants to proselytize using you know religious symbols, well, well, it's not, it's not appropriate and it's not allowed. Right. So this would affect, for example. If you're Jewish, wearing a kippah or wearing a turban if you're Sikh, um, as well as uh, wearing hijab. Exactly. And um, and the thing is, people have to understand uh, that it's not something that was meant to target minorities. or, or uh, Because this is the narrative that I will always hear from the U.S., especially or, or Anglo-Saxon countries in general. It's not meant to target Muslims. Uh, no, because those rules existed you know way before we even talked about that i mean it was from 1905 it's been you know laicite is is you know over 115 years old and um and the thing is the rules have always been that way and it's not it's it's not something that we just made up to uh, to target minorities, you know, it's just not true at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so Macron cites uh, he talks about the schools as being he says l'école c'est le crucé républicain. Um, yeah. So the school is the crucible of republicanism, and he one of the more controversial measures that he proposes. Uh, in the speech. And I think there have been some that measures had to be toned down. Um, I was reading because there have been some challenges to this from the French Constitutional Court. Um, so these were his speech of October 2020. American listeners should understand these, this is not an executive order. This is a set of proposals that Macron made, which then had to be tested by the French courts. Exactly. But he proposed he proposed um, uh, an end to homeschooling, except in the case of children who need to be homeschooled for medical purposes. Exactly. The, I mean, the the thing is, things that we need to understand is that you know, sc- school is an obligation for everybody, you know, uh, up until the age of sixteen, you know, for the children. And I really thought before a couple of years ago that it was an obligation for, from the age of three. But actually, it it was just something that was generally done. It's not necessarily an obligation. And now it becomes an obligation that, you know, uh, children from the age of three go to school. And, um, and about homeschooling, yes, the rules are stricter now because uh, uh, to, uh, 
because the goal is to avoid radicalization uh, um, by parents who won't uh, enroll their children in in the in in public schools. And uh, for example, there were you know uh, children, especially little girls, who suddenly disappeared, or uh, who are the ones that um, or we found out there were like. Um, illegal clandestine schools that had to be shut down because they were teaching them horrible things, radicalizing children and not really, you know, give, uh, giving them a, an actual education, things like that. The goal is really to, to, to really um, tackle those issues and make sure that fewer and fewer children are in a situation in, in which they are ridiculous, uh, you know, uh, uh, being indoctrinated by radicals and uh, that they are part of the republic so because cool here is teaches teaches things like citizenship and principles of equality you know st state schools uh, are basically the 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 window of the french republic do you have a a, a kind of equivalent to a civics class in French schools? Yeah, yeah, we do. Education civique, yeah. Um, when, I was, when I was growing up here in the UK, we obviously don't have a separation between church and state. Um, although, ironically, I think that secularism is, well, it's good to have it enshrined in law, but what's more important is the way in which those laws and values are upheld. Um, it's the culture of, it's secularist, culture that is um, at least as important as secularist law, just as free speech of course, culture yeah. is, is at least as important as free speech laws on the books. Um, because clearly in the UK, we have far less intrusion of religion into politics um, than they do in the US. And the US is officially a secular state and, and the UK is not. At my school, we had we had to say the Lord's Prayer every um, when we entered the classroom, first classroom of the day, and we had a religious assembly in chapel every morning and twice on Sundays. Um, and I am not a Christian, but I still had to go. And what was it a public school or a private school? This was a private school. Okay, so it was not a state school. No. It okay. is what we would we would confusingly call a public school. I, oh yeah, so. I know. I forgot about that. <laughs> it's a it was a private school. Yes, yeah. Um, because you know, I recently, you know, a couple of years ago, I learned that the UK had religious state schools, which for French people, that's really you know not conceivable. Um, yes. Yeah, so I think that. We have there are quite a, uh, there's there are a number of faith schools in the UK, um, and actually I shouldn't say anything about this because I'm not sure what the exact their exact status is, but I think that they're often charter schools, which is like the second tier. So they they are they get a lot of funding and support from the state, but they're not the official state schools. Because from what I understood, you know, there are religious state schools in, in, in the UK and they've been, you know, their numbers are growing and growing. And, uh, for example, I read this article in, in The Economist that, that said that basically, you know, um, 
Yeah, yeah, it's um, 94,000 children in England now attend a non-Christian religious uh, school compared to like 64,000 like uh, just a few years ago in 2011. And it's, um, and what I found pretty interesting and quite shocking is the fact that those are religious state schools. And at the same time, they, you know, from what I've seen about the consequences of that is that they deepen segregation and separatism. Absolutely. Um, We'll link to that article in the show notes. Um, And I also talked about faith schools with um, Iram Ramzan and um, Stephen Knight. um, And I will link to that here too. So some of the things that Macron, I mean, one of the things that I thought was important in Macron's speech is that he is not fixated on violence and terrorism in that speech. This is before the um, Patti's murder, prior to the murder. He, When he's talking about radicalization, um, he's talking much more broadly about civic values. So, for example, I think the one that he most often stresses is that the French Republic upholds the equality of men and women. Exactly, yeah. And so if you don't allow your um, your daughters to go swimming for reasons of quote-unquote modesty, um, or you want to take your your female children out of school, or you you have a pub you run a public swimming pool and you insist on separate days for men and women or if you're a bus conductor and you won't allow women to get on the bus if they're wearing a miniskirt yeah this happened yeah none of those things are acceptable i have a small personal anecdote about that because we our local a doctor's surgery one of my housemates went to be treated um uh, for he had a uh, he had a prostate problem, went to see the doctor, and she said that she couldn't physically examine him because that would be immodest because he's a man and she's a woman. Uh, she's obviously a, a Pakistani Muslim doctor. And I find that kind of extraordinary <laughs> um, that we allow this sort, these sorts of exceptions. Yes, I mean, there's there's been a, a debate about that in France too, because there were situations in you know if there's like an emergency, and uh, and uh, uh, and a Muslim woman, a Muslim woman um, says that she only wants a female doctor, and especially sometimes it's not even her; it's also because there's the husband or brother who's with who's with her who won't allow the staff to touch her if it's not a female doctor and uh, this and there's an emergency in the, and um the, the the fact is what we're saying is that we don't want any more of that because because of course you know there are some situations in which uh, a woman might feel uncomfortable with a male doctor you know if there's there's been a sexual assault or something like that but you know most of the time you know if it's possible you know, there will be accommodations. There's no problem with that. But not in a situation where there's an emergency and there's not exactly the kind of doctor. I mean, you know, if we're talking about the gender, you know, the kind of doctor that the person wants for religious reasons, we we can't do that because then it becomes dangerous. Right. Macron talks a, a, a lot about a need for a kind of Republican patriotism um, in France. And I noticed a a very, very heavy emphasis on that in his speech. 
And he is, he says that he feels part of the reason why there's been a growing radicalization of Muslims worldwide, um, he says. He says there is a global crisis in Islam, which I think is a, an absolutely fair assessment. Uh, but a lot of people did not like that. Well, it's simply, well, they thought it was impolite to say it, but it's simply true. I mean, it's not the only crisis going on in the world, but it's uh, certainly a problem. Yeah, of course. Um, and a major problem. I liked the fact that he was extremely frank in his speech. There was no pussyfooting around, no kind of trying to avoid naming things or saying things because it might be politically incorrect to do so and people might get offended. Yeah, this is something Anglo-Saxons do not like about French people in general. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, nobody likes the French. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. Um, you can blame them. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he, um, Macron says that he feels that um, the radicalization of Muslims in France is partly the fault of the French state itself for, for um, allowing a kind of ghettoization to happen. How do you, do you agree with that? Uh, partly, yeah. I think. I mean, there's a lot of different things. I mean, that's a. I mean, that's a big conversation because we're talking about. Uh, you know, uh, decades of, um, um, ur you know, urbanism pol uh, policies and and integration policies there. Of course, there's some responsibility in, in terms of, you know, integration, uh, the way, you know, um, immigrants were integrated and where they were placed and also the fact that some people just you know like being you know when you they arrive in a country there they they find themselves with other people who share the same kind of culture or the same religion or whatever you see what i mean and i think uh over the past 40 uh 40 50 years uh probably a better job could have been done in terms of um avoiding ghettoization yes so yes of course but then again, um, you there's also a lot of um, uh, radical networks, you know, um, that are operating in those kind of neighborhoods to radicalize the populations, especially the youth. So they, you know, I mean, there's a responsibility of the French state because, because of course, you know, there was the problems were already there and things needed to be done and they were not done. You know, I think the authorities sort of like closed their eyes for too many years. But at, at the same time, let's not forget who is responsible for the radicalization. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not blaming the, blaming the French state for the radicalization. But one thing he does point out is that within these, um, within some of these urban ghettos, impoverished urban ghettos, or Macron's claim is that the French state failed to provide um, certain social services, such as elder care, um, also access to libraries and to culture, um, and uh, sporting, sporting facilities, 
And as a result, these supposedly non-profit Islamic, well, they are non-profit, but these non-profit profit Islamic organizations, under the guise of providing that care, uh, were able to radicalize people. Uh, yes, it's partly true. It's more complicated than that because it's yes, it's you know, it's it's an aspect of things, but let's not forget that over the past you know, um, ten twenty years, I mean, there's been billions that were put in numerous plans in order to 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 save those banlieues that we call them those those um, those suburbs, you know, in in the, in the outskirts of Paris, uh, for example, and. Um, it's not just the, the, the providing services and everything. It's it's also um, a question of uh, uh, of um, um, some local politicians closing their eyes and basically pactizing with those association to get votes. So and that's a problem too. You know, that's another aspect of things is that you have a population and you want to pander if you're a local politician. And sometimes you will close your eyes on you know on on you know illiberal practices or practices that are against the values of of the republic. You know, and uh, just for electoral reasons, because you want to pander to a certain portion of the population to, to, to get votes. And that, that, that is a problem. That is, that is a large part of the problem in India and the reason why Indian secularism is in the really sad state that it's in. Not that I want to digress into that topic right now, but it's uh, um, absolutely... Yeah, so, 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 I mean, there's a lot of things to say because, of course, those are complex issues. And I know that a lot of the articles that you, that we read in the Anglo-Saxon press, especially these past couple of months, you know, have, you know, have, have described things in a very simplistic way. I mean, we're talking about a, a very complex context and policy, policies from, uh, you know, uh, uh, from over from over decades and you know and also uh, things that happen locally and things that happen on a national level and sometimes those two things clash in terms of interests and values and everything and so it's really difficult to sum it up in just a few sentences and also trying to uh, you know Make a summary for the the American audience, for example. When you read the Washington Post and New York Times, it will speak of it in terms of in, in you know using vocabulary that American you know Americans will understand, and so they will just basically just transpose you know and project American issues onto France, whereas the context is completely different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what you, what are the most egregious examples of that that you've seen? Oh, I, I mean, for I mean, so many. It's okay. Like for for example, um, I remember a, a headline that basically um, a victim blamed Samuel Paty for his own murder. Uh, they basically, you know, I I, I can like try to um, find it right now so I can like read it. Was that the New York Times headline that I think was later 
retracted or changed? Um, uh, no, there was a New York Times he- uh, headlines, you know, that was, yeah, uh, retracted about uh, uh, about um, the policemen, you know, uh, uh, shooting the terrorists and it oh, made it yes. sound like it, like it was a police brutality thing or something yes. like that. But yeah, I wasn't even thinking about that one. From NBC News, decapitated French teacher warned not to show Prophet Muhammad images before Islamist attack and Islamist in quotes. And then the sub, the, you know, the sub headline says, "We said to the teacher it was not good to show photos like this, and it would cause a huge problem." God. So, <laughs> you know, so basically, imagine, you know, you know, I could write the same headline victim blaming a rape victim you know and i'll use the same words like rape victim warned not to show skirt you not to wear a skirt or show her hair before sexual assault and put sexual assault in quotes right well well you know warning people don't do this or else that is the definition of of menacing threats blackmail uh, and all of those kinds of things you know has no one ever seen The Godfather? You know, <laughs> well, we warned you that having an Italian restaurant is kind of a dangerous business around here. Um, I, I mean, I mean, this is crazy. How is it possible? How is it even possible? And I mean, there's been so many examples over the past couple of months. I think the worst, and it really made me angry and sad, I was listening to a debate on a French radio show between... Uh, a French journalist, uh, Agnès Poirier, that I follow on Twitter, and two American journalists, like the, the Washington Post uh, correspondent in Paris and and uh, and the head of the Paris bureau of the New York Times, and um, and this uh, this guy from the New York Times, who's the head of the Paris bureau, so he's not like just a random young journalist. Um, equated the Charlie Hebdo cartoons to anti-Semitic Nazi cartoons of 1941. And I mean, I mean, this is crazy. And he, and then he said that Muslims, should, you know, in France should not suffer in silence because we wouldn't ask that of Jews. That That's absolutely extraordinary. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, how do you want to talk to people like this? I mean, it, it, you know, these people, I mean, what do they want? Because, you know, at the beginning of our conversation, you talked about the fact that it's important, not just, you know, the the, the laws, you know, in the books, but also the spirits and the culture and everything. But I'm sorry, but the American people, they have the First Amendment and freedom of speech. But what good is the First Amendment, especially the freedom of speech part? If they are living under self-imposed blasphemy laws, mm, yeah, because this is what's happening right now, because because they have things such as cancel culture and, and you know and self-imposed blasphemy laws and religion is sort of like off limits and stuff like that. Because religion again is a set of ideas, you know, an, an ideology, and they treat it like it, it's a immutable characteristic that needs to be protected somehow. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, um, there's such a weaselly slippage there between words and actions. How can French Muslims be be expected to stay silent? Well, 
they're not expected, I mean, no one is expected to stay silent. I am personally absolutely fine with anybody criticizing anything. Exactly. Um, if you want to say you think that the Charlie, Heb- Charlie Hebdo is an anti-Muslim publication, well, I disagree, but I think you should be perfectly free to say that. If the cartoons disgust you, you should be free to say that. You should even be free to say that people deserve to be killed. Um, and you should be able to say all kinds of disgusting and offensive stuff that I disagree with. But And I'm not going to go around and behead you. Um, that, is, that is the difference. Exactly. And also, the thing is, nobody expects, you know, people, you know, especially Muslims to suffer in silence or whatever. They're free to voice their opinions. And they can even take Charlie Hebdo or anyone to court if they want to, you know. But if anything, you know, France would need even more freedom of speech, not less, not blasphemy laws. In your open letter following the Charlie Hebdo massacre, you write, um, I consider blasphemy a good thing. Most progress, social, human rights, or scientific, started off as blasphemy. And at the time, there were always people screaming blasphemy or advocating the status quo of not offending. They were on the wrong side of history. I was really reminded there of Majid Nawaz's uh, essay on blasphemy. Um, Majid seems to have lost his mind recently, as many oh, people yeah. have. <laughs> but um, but I, I still really admire him. I just don't admire his more recent pronouncements and ideas. Um, but this essay is absolutely fantastic. Um, I will link that along with yours in the show notes. Um, it's a very impassioned defense of blasphemy. And my... Um, my feeling is that the tendency is always towards censorship. Um, people are always going to be offended and upset by um, being by hearing criticism of of them or of ideas that they believe in or of gods that they believe in. The human psyche, the human kind of psychic drive, is towards censorship, and we have to fight that very ferociously, because if you give an inch there, they will take a mile. Um, and you end up with situations like the situation in, in Pakistan, uh, where, for example, a few years ago, um, a young, a, um, a 23-year-old student, Mashal Khan, um, who was not even an atheist, he wasn't blaspheming, he didn't draw the prophet, um, he just uh, voiced some philosophical, uh, he did some philosophical questioning of Islamic doctrine, and he was beaten to death in broad daylight by his fellow students on campus. So it's, I think that there there is this perception that if we just stay away from the worst, quote unquote, forms of blasphemy, like drawing the prophet or whatever, then everything will be fine. So it's not very much to ask. It's like, just don't do this one thing. But that is not how blasphemy laws and and a kind of anti-blasphemy culture works. Exactly. I mean, the... Okay, to be honest, okay, I guess my big question is, why are we having this conversation? I mean, I know why 
you're having this conversation with me. I mean, this is, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, the, uh, the reasons why we're having this conversation right now, um, it's actually pretty fascinating to me because I still don't understand why, you know, have we been talking about French secularism? Why have we been talking about laïcité for the past two or three months like that. I mean, I, I still do not understand why. The, the, the thing is, you know, let's, you know, if we talk about the timeline, okay, Macron does this, you know, delivers this speech on October 2nd, okay? Two weeks later, Samuel Paty is killed. And everywhere in the Anglosphere, we hear people saying that Macron's measures are a reaction to Samuel Paty's murder, and now he's descending into fascism or something like that. This is factually not how it happened. You know, the dates do not match this narrative. And suddenly, after Samuel Paty's murder, what happened? You know, there was a, you know, a national tribute and everything. And, you know, Samuel Paty was killed because he showed uh, a Charlie Hebdo cartoon of Muhammad, you know, in, in, a, in, in, in a lesson about free speech and the debate, you know, things like that, which is part of the curriculum. He was basically killed for doing his job. But, and then, you know, the Macron praised, uh, you know, Samuel Paty and when he was asked, you know, he if he condemned the cartoons, he said no because it's freedom of speech and everything, and then that you will not condemn them. And this is when you had you, you had uh, countries like you know Turkey and Pakistan started starting this movement boycott France and started started saying a lot of crazy things about France, and 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 you also had the Anglo-Saxon press. You know, uh, you know, mirroring their criticism, and suddenly saying that it was all the fault of French secularism for some reason. But all this literally had nothing to do with laïcité. Th nothing that, that, at all. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's a completely different conversation. And so, 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 so I'm still surprised that we're. Based, all this led to us having this conversation right now, and I still don't know why it happened. Because, you know, the, the murder of Samuel Paty and another murder that happened in Nice in a church, you know, two, two weeks later, you know, this literally had nothing to do with laïcité. Why was it brought up like that in this context? I mean, yeah. this... I mean, I mean, that's the real question. And nobody's been able to, you know, to, to answer this question. And that's crazy to me. It's like they needed to create a boogeyman, and they just did, just like that. Because they wanted to victim blame, they seized the opportunity, and this is just disgraceful. I think it's partly that there is this American um, model that absolutely everything is about skin color and Muslims are brown people. And therefore, any, any kind of 
thing that they can make into a conflict, whether it is a conflict uh, uh, between Muslims and other and non-Muslims, is another question I want to get onto in a moment because I want to talk about French Muslims. But um, but first of all, to the American eye, everything is about skin color, and therefore you have something that can be framed as a conflict between white people and non-white people. Then that's what it must be. Must be a conflict between white people and non-white people, and the only real way to interpret a conflict between white people and non-white people is white people being racist to non-white people. So, I think that the American press and the British press too, to a lesser extent, have immediately tried to just torture this into this kind of narrative, and it's it's extraordinary how powerful these irrelevant American cultural framings have become. Actually, this is one of the things that Macron said in the question-answer session after the the, um, October 2nd speech, is that you have to look at things in in the context of French history, uh, French politics, and not in this kind of completely foreign context of, for example, American police brutality against black people. And I just, I've seen this here in the UK too. We had people chanting in protests, hands up, don't shoot. And our police are not armed. Yeah, I know. I mean, this is crazy. It's absolutely absurd. The world is not America. Exactly. It's like, uh, you know, sort of like cultural colonialism, you know, uh, for America. And some people are really happy to import that. And and this is really crazy because, you know, of course, there are issues in every country. I mean, there's no country that doesn't have its own issues with racism or, you know, um, you know, uh, xenophobia or class related issues or whatever, because, you know, but but those are topics that we need to talk about in the context of those countries and not just transpose uh, you know, American issues, you know, uh, and, and just export them to other countries, which is ridiculous because the solutions that we could find in America uh, might not work in another country. And so, so yeah, it's... Um, I frankly don't think they work in America, but that's it, another it, question. Yeah, that's another, <laughs> yeah, that's another conversation. It's true. And, um, but it's, uh, it's, um, it's really... Co- uh, um, I, I think the conversation is really complicated because, um, okay, let's take Charlie Hebdo, for instance. You know, um, I was shocked by by what I heard recently. I think the, the guy's name is Adam Nossiter, you know, from the Paris Bureau of the New York Times. Um, uh, but let's not forget that in 2015, when the when the Charlie Hebdo terror attack terror attack happened, um, there was no I mean there was no support from the Anglo Saxon press. You know the news outlets, you know TV or print, they refused to show the cartoons, and also they 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 even re- re- refused to show the anniversary cartoon that didn't even point out. Islam at all, the just God, the concept of God in general. 
Yeah. And um, and also, um, you know, if you remember after the Charlie Hebdo attack and uh, and um, uh, and uh, the attack on the kosher market in 2015, January 2015, there was this this march in Paris, you know, in favor of free speech and against terrorism, and there were like three million people in the streets of Paris, and it was a, 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 an amazing day, and you had a lot of world leaders that were there that chose to attend this march, and the only world leader you know, that didn't show up was Obama at the time. Mm. Which is crazy when you think that it's supposed to be the self-proclaimed country of free speech and the, and the country, uh, you know, of the war on terror. Yeah, yeah. It is absolutely extraordinary. Um, yeah. And, um, and so that's the... And when Samuel Paty was killed, you know, um, American politicians and British politicians were silent. Yeah, I was really, um, so I was, I was, felt extremely happy uh, when I heard, not about the murder, but um, about the way that Macron, the tribute that Macron made to Samuel Paty, the speech mm -hmm. that he made in tribute. So this is separate from the October, obviously the October um, speech. Um, and I will link to that in the show notes as well. Um, and in fact, when I was thinking about it afterwards, I thought, you know, this is how, this is the kind of tribute you should always give to somebody who was killed in the line of duty, teaching civic values, um, but I can only imagine how this would have been handled by British or American press, because whenever there has been um, an attack by Islamic radicals, a terrorist attack when people have been killed, almost the first thing that's been said is the real the real danger here is that now people will turn against Muslims. Yes, and of course I do not. I I absolutely do not want people turning against Muslims, and um, I would I I can absolutely deplore the way in which the the far right uses these kinds of incidents to um, portray all Muslims as terrorists. I think that is horrible and completely unjust. But also, when people have just been killed, your first focus needs to be on the victims. And the first thing you need to condemn is the actions that took place, not people's reactions. So I was literally listening, this was after the Ariana Grande uh, concert, where children um, had been killed by terrorists, to someone on the BBC saying that, in, he was interviewing a woman in hijab and he said this was an awful thing that had happened because now she was getting a lot of dirty looks from people when she was riding on their tube. Um, and I don't, I do not, I do not advocate giving dirty looks to some poor woman in a hijab who had nothing to do with this whatsoever and whose views on this you, you have no idea of. Um, uh, you know, I'm very against scapegoating, but also that's just such an extraordinary emphasis. It's it's like we can't we can't stop for a moment and say, 
religious ideas can lead to radicalization and that can make people do bad things and kill people, and that is bad. Exactly. I mean, it's amazing that, you know, saying something as basic, you know, is controversial. It's just a fact. And, uh, you know, and saying this doesn't make you a bigot at all because we're talking about ideologies. It has nothing to do with race or skin color or whatever. We're really talking about ideologies. And the thing is, you know, and I mean, there's a lot of things to say here. I mean, for example, when we talk, I mean, it's true that every time there's a terrorist attack, and I've noticed this in, in, in France, and especially when, you know, um, people outside of France, whether it be on Twitter or on, you know, news outlets, they always start talking about how Muslims are the real victims because they're going to be hate crimes or whatever. I mean, I keep hearing, you know, I've been hearing this like for the past five years since the Charlie Hebdo attack. And even probably, it was probably the same thing before because, you know, um, the modern, you know, terrorist, uh, terrorism, um, uh, homegrown terrorism um, wave started in 2012 with Mohamed Merah in France. Um, but, Come on, it just hasn't happened. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I mean, let's look at the numbers. Really, just the numbers. Since 2012 in France, there have been almost like 300 people who died, and I'm not even talking about all the people who were injured, which is in the thousands, died from Islamic terrorism. Like 270, if you want to be, you know, precise. The number of deaths due to Islamophobic hate crimes, zero. Mm. There obviously, I mean, there there have been some hate crimes. Of the, course. The attack on the Christchurch mosque when we were looking yeah, at internationally. But, yeah, but, exactly. But, I'm talking about France here. There hasn't been a giant wave of hate no, crime. No, no, there hasn't been that. And, and and I'm talking about France. And 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 the thing is, you know, we're talking about 270 versus zero. I mean, it's it's you know, it's not even close. I mean, we shouldn't be having this debate. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, it's not like Muslims are being lynched in the street as retribution for terror attacks. It's not happening. It, it's not happening at all. And if we want to talk about hate crimes, so let's talk about hate crimes, okay? You're like, inf- you're like, you know, anti-Muslim attacks are not, you know, okay. Uh, I mean, I have numbers from 2018. It hasn't changed much since from what, from what I understand. You know, anti-Christian attacks, 1,063. Anti-Semitic attack, 541. Anti-Muslim attacks, one hundred. Okay, you see, you see what I mean. Mm. And and most of the you know the attacks against Christians and Jews are from radical Muslims. So 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 when you look at the actual numbers and what's really happening in French society, how the hell does the you know does the narrative you know get transformed into Muslims are the real victims of those terror attacks. It's not happening. It, it, it's, it, it's, it's fiction. Yeah, I was so happy that in Macron's speech, he 
he makes um, he makes no mention of French Muslims um, at all. Um, he neither blames them in any way, shape, or form. There's, I mean, I I found zero anti-Muslim bigotry in either of Macron's speeches. Um, whether or not you agree with them, proposed measures, etc., is another question. But there was absolutely no evidence of that. There was no grouping together of. Uh, there was no kind of grouping together of French Muslims. There was no mention of French Muslims. It was about um, the teacher's bravery in um, transmitting secular humanist values and values of free speech and freedom of expression in a thoughtful way to his students. That was the focus. Um, and uh, Macron called him an embodiment of the French Republic. It was uh, very powerful, and why can't we respond that way? <laughs> you know, why did we not respond to Charlie Hebdo that way? I mean, I mean, that's a good question. It frustrates me so much. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, this is the thing. I mean, we're talking about religion, you know, again, again, ideologies, and the fact that Charlie Hebdo, you know, basically, it's just. It, Shadi Hebdo is a satirical uh, paper that mocks everybody, everybody, you know, and authority, uh, you know, like political figures and religious figures. And actually, you know, um, Islam, it, it was not targeted as much as Christianity, for example. There was also this narrative about Charlie Hebdo being bigots who only targeted Muslims or, or you know, or Islam, and it's that was that was fiction too, and and so a lot of the things you know that we're talking about it's because people have been lying for years about them. I mean, I can totally understand why there would be a debate between, you know, laicite versus, you know, the Anglo-Saxon con conception of uh, secularism, uh, you know, uh, no problem. Let's debate about that. But at least, you know, let's be honest and not make things up. Like, for example, when when there was this fake news you know about you know uh, uh, about the French government want, wanting to you know to basically give like numbers to Muslim children, and people started comparing that to to what what, what was being done to Jews in the nineteen forties. I mean that's crazy. Yeah. It, you know, especially since it would be impossible in France because France is a country that is traumatized by the events of World War II, you know, the, the Vichy regime and the Nazi collaboration. And so, you know, ethnic and religious statistics are banned. We don't, you know, it's not possible to even do that. So I just want to return to defending Macron for a moment, um, which is an unusual position for me to take. I'm not a particular fan of his politics in general, but I do feel that um, I feel a need to defend him because I think that he is being uh, unfairly attacked on this issue. And I also think that he, both the October speech both the October speech and the tribute to Samuel Paty were, I thought, absolutely fantastic speeches. Um, I thought that they were real. It was a real display of 
leadership, um, it wasn't impassioned. Both of them were impassioned defenses of liberal humanist values and of civic nationalism. And I was I was very impressed by both speeches. And one thing that particularly impressed me is that um, Macron does no he doesn't do any victim blaming in the October speech. So he doesn't suggest um, that France is to blame for radical Islamic uh, terrorism, but he does talk about the ways in which a society can, um, the ways in which we can try to combat separatism and ghettoization. And I thought I felt that he took a lot of responsibility. So this victim blaming and taking and um, taking responsibility for the things that you can do are two separate things. I I I believe, and he really um, threaded that needle very, very carefully and well. And I, one of the things that I most valued, and that uh, is that he avoided something that is a personal bugbear of mine, which is condemning cultures as a whole. So talking about. I hear this from the right and the far right in particular a lot. Some cultures are better than others. Well, I I disagree with that. I mean, I think that some cultural practices are better than others. And some cultural practices, including some very traditional, very venerable, um, much beloved cultural practices are absolutely morally wrong. But I I don't find it useful to think of culture as one big lump. So it's like Pakistani culture is bad because Mashal Khan was beaten to death. Well, that that aspect of Pakistani culture is terrible. But Urdu language and poetry is beautiful. Pakistani biryani is quite possibly the best food in the world. I, I mean, I kind of hesitate to talk about food to a Frenchman. This might get very heated at any moment, but luckily we're both believers in freedom of speech, so I think we'll be okay. Um, yeah. I'll, you know, I'll just I, call you after the podcast and we'll have another debate, you know, <laughs> off the record. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Pakistani scenery is, there's some of the most beautiful scenery in the world is, is in uh, Pakistan. And also I... Uh, Pack Coke Studio is just the best music, the best music. I'm sorry. So um, there are a culture is made up of many elements, and I, in Macron's speech, he was he was very strongly defensive of multiculturalism. It's just that you cannot, because you accept um, many aspects of. A culture doesn't mean you must accept everything that is normalized in that culture. That doesn't mean you must accept FGM or bigamy or triple talic instant divorce, um, etc. It's quite possible to celebrate cultural diversity and still uphold human rights because cultures, you don't have to think of cultures as a package deal. And I love the fact that he did that. So he says in the speech, he uh, he, sa- he advocates giving 
uh, a lot more funding to the what's called the Fondation pour l'Islam de France, um, yeah. which is a, a foundation for studying for the intellectual academic study of Islamic culture and religion. He said that there should be more teaching of Arabic language, um, of there should be more study of also the history of France's troubled relationship with North Africa. He said that documents that are still classified about the Algerian war should be released publicly and historians should be working on this. So there should be a transparency, um, a transparency in, in France's dealing with its colonial past. But that doesn't involve letting go of these basic human rights values. And I, I love that. I thought that was just wonderful. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I agree with you on a lot of things there. The thing is, you know, it's true that, um, okay, first of all, yeah, I mean, I need, I need to say this too, because I'm not a Macron fanboy. I mean, I criticize him on a lot of things. Like even right now, you know, with the, the way he's handling the pandemic and especially the, oh, the, the vaccines right now, it's a disaster. You know, we'll see if he does better uh, later, but right now it's terrible. You know, so it's, it's you know, I'm, I'm not here to defend the government at all costs, or, yeah, or because yeah. I'm like I'm this patriot, patriotic French person who, who you know, no, I'm not. You know, it's 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 not, it's it's not me. It, we're talking about a specific issue right yeah, now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, exactly, and we were talking about two speeches of Macron that were good, and I totally agree with you. And they were misrepresented. And uh, and 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 the people who attacked uh, what he said were Islamic theocracies or dictatorships like Turkey or Pakistan, and you know, like the woke American left, who tried to victim blame France for things that had nothing to do with secularism. Yeah. This is, I mean, this is what we're talking about. And then we, we I mean, the, and, and, but then. You know, if we want to talk about other policies in France, criticize Macron and everything, no problem. I'll be the first one to do so. There's no problem with that. You know, and but but the thing is, you know, to me, what Macron did was good, but also very basic. And yes. some of the things should have been done before. It was very basic. Yeah. Exactly, because because basically Macron has no business being president of France, and no business at all. If he doesn't defend laïcité, this is something pretty. This is something people don't get. Like French people, for French people, defending laïcité is like the most normal and basic thing. I wish I wish Americans would defend their First Amendment in the way that Macron defended laïcité. The thing about the French, uh, the, the 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 First Amendment is that it's pretty ambivalent. Uh, l l let me explain. The, f the First Amendment is basically, you know, um, a short paragraph in, in that guarantees freedom of religion, freedom of speech, and at the same time saying that the state will not basically have like an established religion. You see what I mean? Mm. And uh, so there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of room to not separate church and state there. You see what I mean? Of course, not having an established religion like a theocracy is great, but that doesn't mean that you're actually separating church and state 
And as we can see in the U.S., I mean, there's a lot of not separating church and state at all. You see what I mean? Yeah. And 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 so uh, the fact that you know even today you know there's a there's a, you know there's a tweet that you know I'm moving uh, going around right now about prayers you know in Congress you know yeah. I mean this is crazy from the perspective of a French secularist and so this wall of separation of church and sta- state that Tom uh, you know that uh, Jefferson wanted you know it never really existed. Yeah, you know, and this was actually also used against uh, Thomas Jefferson, you know, uh, by his, you know, by by other Americans, by his political opponents at the time. And the thing is, um, um, it's 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 really difficult sometimes to have these conversations with Anglo-Saxons, especially Americans, because like I said, they, 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 they believe in religious privilege. And by, by this, I mean that they do not consider religion as just another set of ideas. I mean, and I've said it, I said it before, but this is really a fundamental difference is that, is that, in France, you know, laïcité, you know, means that the law protects public and political life from the interference of religion and religious, uh, you know, fanatism, and makes sure that religion is not used as a political tool. So this is the world of separation of church and state. Yeah, Whereas in the U.S., it's yeah. about freedom of religion and sometimes freedom of religion trumps everything and you know and there's no not, not necessarily freedom from religion in the sense that sometimes re- freedom of religion can be used even to discriminate and for me that's the fun- fundamental difference and um so of course you know we can debate about certain details of laicite for example i don't know some people have told me yeah okay i'm okay with you know like for example judges not wearing religious symbols or you know policemen of course but why do you do you use the same rule for bus drivers for example if they work for the state and and I totally understand that. I totally understand that. To be honest, you know, I I don't think I would really care if a bus driver had a religious symbol or you know, or a turban or a job or whatever. I, I mean, it's, but you have to draw the line somewhere. But those are all details. It doesn't change anything about the general principle. You see what I mean? Yeah. I there's so much just basic misunderstanding of what secularism entails, even though it's not a difficult concept to grasp, um, and I am I'm a fervent believer in secularism, but I'm not an atheist. Um, and people find this just completely contradictory. You know, I'm a member of a tiny religious minority. So secularism from is um I mean I'm not a I'm not a devout person, so um I'm not really going around doing anything much to exercise my religion except when I'm in India. Um but to me, secularism is protective because if you have one state religion and that is enshrined in law and in custom and values, um, because I think that's important because those are two separate things. You can have it enshrined in law and people just ignore the law or you can have it not enshrined in law and nevertheless people will um, will undermine um, the, the separation as we see in the US and in India too. Um, but it's when you have a state religion um, in law or, or just de facto, 
then if you don't follow that religion, you are liable to be at the very least disadvantaged and at the worst persecuted. Yes, it's true. Yeah, totally. Uh, so, I mean, I just, um, I and I think that people also seem to, people seem to have very strong double standards in the way they regard religious persecutions. People are um, very angry and upset, and quite rightly so, when they see that minority religious groups are being persecuted, probably the worst example currently being the I don't know how to pronounce the name. I think it's Uyghur. Um, I don't think I've ever heard it said, but the the Uyghur population in in um, China being yeah, probably exactly, the worst yeah. example right now. Yeah. Um, but people are rightly horrified by that, and so they should be. But they seem to completely discount the the fact that atheism is. Um, illegal and even punished in a slew of countries and even punishable by death in certain countries. Um, and atheists are a, you know, one of the most persecuted groups worldwide. True. Not in the West, but worldwide. And mm -hmm. there just seems to be kind of no, uh, you know, just much less sympathy. There's an empathy gap there that I notice all of the, all the time. So there's some way in which we seem to think that being religious somehow makes you a good person. It's and true. We cling onto that even when religion is making people do terrible things like kill people. It's just there's, 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 there's it's somehow very very deep rooted there. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean yeah, I mean, we're talking about like the differences between French culture and Anglo-Saxon culture, and uh, and, and and yeah, it's even more true there. I mean, which is why you know Charlie Hebdo had so little su support in the Anglosphere because you know because even though people were saying yeah we don't condone the violence, they were you know they were like you know they they were still blaming Charlie Hebdo for doing what they were doing because religion was supposedly off limits and also especially Islam because it's viewed as for some reason you know as the the religion of the oppressed brown person and so so they should it's it's seen as punching down which is stupid because uh, because it's you know, again, we're talking about the ideas of the people, so uh, it, it, and it's really stupid to racialize the debate, especially since when we look at the attacks, people of all backgrounds and skin colors have been the victims of those attacks by radical Muslims, you know, by by jihadis, and so racializing the debate just makes absolutely no sense at all. Numerically, Muslims have been overwhelmingly the biggest. Um, victims exactly worldwide yeah I mean you know in Muslim you know in Muslim countries I mean there, there have been terrible attacks that killed hundreds of of people out of time and you know and it's horrifying and um, and you know and we're talking about you know um, countries in which there are no cartoons in which there are no you know there's no laicite or whatever and and those attacks still keep happening and and so 
maybe the problem is the ideology after all, you know, and it's, it's crazy that people can't see that. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about French Muslims. Um, when I was listening to Macron's speech, the October speech, um, he mentioned the organization, the Conseil Francais du Culte Musulman. And, exactly. and I, so I, as I, when I wrote in my notes, the Council of uh, French Muslims, I was very struck because the British Council of Muslims is an extremely conservative organization. Um, and in general, in the UK, I mean, I think in the UK, there is a, uh, a, a huge problem with Muslim conservatism, also with radicalization at the extreme. But I, I think that the conservative um, Muslim values, so misogynistic and homophobic values, are also a big problem. And I think that the, um, I don't have good stats on this, but the general view is that around half of UK Muslims are secular and liberal, and around half are devout and deeply conservative. Um, and I think there was a there was a notorious recent survey where in which no Muslims thought that homosexuality should be legal. None of those questioned by the uh, survey. Not legal, but they, they were against. You know, zero uh, percent thought it was a, a good thing, or they were against it, or something like that. But there was another one in which, basically, I, I, if I if I remember correctly, fifty two percent of uh, you know British Muslims who wanted homosexuality banned. Yes, that that's yes, that's actually that's the one I'm thinking of. Sorry, I'm getting okay. figures mixed up here. Um, I don't want to rely on figures. I would just say that it's a large it's a large proportion. I don't know if it's the majority or not, but it's either around half or at least at the very least a significant minority. Um, there are a lot of conservative Muslims in this country. Of course, there are also many secular and liberal Muslims, but there is a, a large conservative presence. And whenever the government or the BBC or people like that call upon Muslim spokespeople to work with them, they always call on extremely conservative. So all of those organizations that they work with are highly conservative organizations. Yes. And this this doesn't seem to be the case in France at all. No, it's not the case, no. So tell me about um, French Muslims by comparison and about the Conseil Français du Culte uh, Musulman. Well, first of all, and this is something that was not reported in the Anglo-Saxon press, I mean, in, I mean, not as much as all the other things that we talked about, um, there, you know, there's a there was a co coalition of all the 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 most important uh, Muslim organizations of France. They wrote an op open letter condemning, you know, the, the the whole movement of boycott France and the whole narrative saying that uh, Muslim, uh, Muslims were oppressed in, in, in the country and saying that they really con firmly condemned this and uh, and and that you know. Uh, those are lies that need to be refuted. And, you know, and this is something, you know, that should have been more shared. You see what I mean? Because mm -hmm. those are the, the the representatives of the highest and, you know, uh, 
and um, most accepted um, uh, Muslim authorities in France. You know, and if we want to talk about French Muslims, you know, it's the vast majority considered themselves secular. You know, you mean laic, you know, in the French sense, you know, in the French meaning of the word. And the problem is, you know, I mean, there's a minority that does not, and some of them are really either very conservative or sometimes, you know, uh, uh, theocrats. And, you know, if we're talking about like 30%, you know, one th- uh, uh, of, of Muslims in France, you know, that's still a very big minority. You see what I mean? That's yes, a minority, yes. but that's, you know, and, but we're, we're talking about millions of people. So that's still enough people to cause problems in French society. You see what I mean? Yes. So that's that's sort of like we need to have a nuanced discussion on that because, because, because I am not going to blame all Muslims for things that are happening in France, of course not, because we're really talking about a minority. And sometimes even a minority of a minority. But the problem is they're still too significant in terms of numbers, and they will cause problems. And um, and if you want to compare, I remember reading this piece you know, with, with figures and so basically saying that seven out of 10 French Muslims perceive no conflict between being a, like a devout Muslim and uh, living in this uh, modern society and having a French national identity, you know, and like and uh, whereas in Great Britain it was really split half and half, mm. you know, yeah. like for, you know I I mean I I can like yeah yeah seven seven in ten Muslims seventy two percent perceive no such conflict. A view shared by virtually identical seventy-four percent of the French general public, and and in Great Britain, however, Muslims split forty-seven percent see a conflict, and forty-nine percent do not. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. and so and also, if we're talking about you know uh, national pride, nat- you know na- the the feeling of belonging to a nation. You know, you know, when asked whether they consider themselves as a national citizen first or as a Muslim first, French Muslims split evenly. But uh, uh, but if we go in other places in Europe, most notably in the UK, it's like eighty-one percent of British Muslims self-identify first with their religion rather than their nationality. Mm. So you see that you, you see that's the thing. We can talk about the failures of French integration and stuff like that. Of course, I mean there are problems, there are failures, and it's important that we fix the problems because you know it's you know and it's it's a never-ending process. But we can clearly see that the fact that we that French universalism works. Yeah. Certainly, not having laicite will 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 not prevent you from <laughs> will not make people integrated. Exactly, uh, pan- pandering will not in- pandering to religious conservatives will not uh, will not create more integration. I think it's exactly the opposite way round. Um, I mean, I was so Macron was talking about supporting Islamic reformation, working together with reformist Muslims to create, he calls an, an Islam de Lumière, like an enlightened Islam. He talked about working um, uh, with, about the Council of French Muslims, uh, training imams in France, 
not allowing them to be trained abroad by um, in in places like Saudi Arabia. Exactly. Um, I can't remember the countries he cited, but Saudi was like the biggest of the influences. Yeah, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, places yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, and make imams sign up to a charter uh, um, that they will defend human basic human rights, um, yeah. liberal secular values, etc. This is not the state making them sign up to a charter. This is the Muslim council themselves yeah, because they agree with the measures, because they really want want to make the difference between regular religious people and Islamists. Yeah, and, and and so yeah, this is something that people don't get is that you know mainstream Muslims they actually you know embrace those measures because they they they, they don't want to be put in the same basket as Islamists. Yeah, um, and they don't agree with Islamist views. Exactly. Whereas here in the UK, when we need to kind of appeal to Muslim views or when the government is working together with Muslim organizations, the government gives zero support to Muslim reformers or liberals. The support and the the collaboration is always with the most conservative groups, in some cases with groups who are actually um, advocated jihad. There have been some ab- absolutely absurd. Examples. Yeah, you're talking. You're talking about Cage, for example. Cage, yes. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, so that that just is in infuriates me. These, yeah. the way that we use these self-appointed, nobody elected them, spokespeople who are always on the most extreme fringes, ideologically, as representative of Muslims. And as um, and as allow them to hold us to ransom with their with their demands. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I totally understand what you're saying, and I think it's a way that British people, and also it, it it's also the case in a lot of uh, Anglo-Saxon uh, countries too. I mean, there are specificities. Of course, I'm making a broad generalization there, but I think there's something um, the way they view Muslims. Um, you know, as something kind of like exotic, and also the, their tendency of have you know of doing like um, cultural relativism. This is what's happening too. Yeah. Uh, whereas in France, it's like we have universalism and republican values, the values of the republic, and basically everybody has to be treated the same way and respect the same rules, the same you know the same rights and duties. It, yeah. You know, yeah. Whereas, whereas in the UK, for example, you know, you have like we talked about that that religious state schools that, uh, you know, deep in se- segregation, and you also have you know parallel justice systems, you know, like Sharia courts, and you know, I know it happens too for other religions, and it, you know, and which is something that's really inconceivable in France, you know, why would you have a parallel justice system, even if it's for only like something like divorces or family law, etc. the law of the land, you know, one law for all, mm-hmm. you know, and equality under the law should, should be the only thing that matters, you know, not having different laws, different rules according to your ethnicity or religion. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a completely counterproductive approach. Um, it's bound up with historical guilt. Um, there's this feeling that we are kind of 
responsible because most Muslims, of course, are Indian, Pakistani, Bangladeshi, and because of the the Raj, all of the kinds of injustices that happened there. But these these are two completely separate things, and that's one thing that Macron, a, a kind of confusion that wasn't within Macron's speech. He talked about being more transparent about France's history in Algeria, being more critical, etc. But he didn't say, we therefore need to abandon the values of laïcité, because that's uh, that makes no it makes no sense. Exactly. So, um, you know, we we need to um, be clear sighted about the wrongs of the past. And I'm absolutely no fan of 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 what the British did in uh, India. Um, I I basically agree with most of what Shashi Tharoor argued in his book, which he calls it an era of darkness. But I. That is not a reason to to kind of pander to Islamic extremists today. That it, it's completely unconnected. Uh, totally, I think it goes deeper than just you know colonial guilt because you'll see the same tendencies in like in Canada or or you know in the U.S. You I mean expressed differently, of course, but you, you see what I mean. And the the you know the fact that you know. Those cultures will be a little bit more accepting of, uh, of uh, you know, uh, communities living side by side, uh, in, instead of having, uh, you know, being under like a, um, having this, you know, national identity that trumps everything. You see what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I mean, we, I mean, there were a lot of different debates on that. Like even when two years ago there, there was a World Cup, and you know, you, you had Americans saying that Africa won the World Cup because because a lot of the players were black and stuff like that, and and whereas French people were shocked by this because it means that you know we didn't cons- uh, they didn't consider them French citizens, and you know, th- I mean, there's a lot of different w- ways in in which those you know, what we call communitarists, basically seeing people through the lens of communities and identity, you know, uh, applies in the Anglosphere compared to France, where, of course, we know that there racism exists and everything. It's not, it's, it's not even the question, but we, the, the, the ideals of the, of the Republic is basically um, a, universe, a universalism. You see what I mean? Yes, and the, the fact yes. that the French Republic does not acknowledge, does not even acknowledge the existence of different communities, but only sees people as French citizens, you know. And this is something I want to strive for. And I totally, you know, despite all the problems, because there are problems, and you know, and, and you know, we, we could talk about the problems for hours. But I, I can relate more to this, uh, you know. Uh, universalist approach which is closer to my philosophy than the uh, the anglo-saxon approach which is more you know seeing people through through the lens of immutable characteristics and ethnicity or skin color or religion stuff like that there seems to be this assumption that we can't all share values when we share a nation um and i i i really think that civic nationalism is one of the most Important unifying um, values. Um, it's it's. I mean, of course, there can be state-based authoritarianism, um, but 
there's this kind of constant talk about this group's values and that other group's values, um, which I find very, um, very, very odd. I think that it's it's partly because um, I lived in India and I've known a lot of Indians from India and I know a lot of people of Indian origin in the UK. And the distinction between um, there is there is of course a very strong Indian culture and there's a certain set of Indian values, but somebody who is whose parents are Indian and who was born and grew up here is a is a, usually a completely different, completely different in their outlook, values, and um, ethics, and and just approach, and and uh, even character traits that are valued, etc., than somebody who is Indian grew up in India. I don't mean to imply that all Indian Brits are the same or all, or all Indians are the same. But this is not genetic, it's culture. Exactly. Um, and I noticed this actually even, so there was this recent kind of face da- um, uh, face-off between, I say recent, it was a year or maybe two years ago, I think maybe uh, um, uh, it was pre-pandemic in that in the ancient times before COVID, but there were parents, a group of parents, mostly Muslim parents, who were protesting um, because an, a, a UK um, primary school in Birmingham was teaching that homosexuality was okay. Yeah, and the US press made a complete balls up of reporting of this. They said they were teaching sex education to um, to very young children um, and made it seem like they were they were showing them videos of um, of anal sex or something. What? Uh, <laughs> that's how the American press sounded. So they got really? really I mean, what, uh, but wasn't ooh, that I, at all? It was just it was about values. It was just like, you know, some People are straight. Some people are gay, um, yeah. and it's part of the the guidelines, the UK guidelines for schools. Mm-hmm. This was a state school, also, um, and um, there was a protest from Muslim parents. Uh, these parents were overruled, um, but when they were describing that in the press, when they were talking about some some fundamentalist or a very, very, very conservative Christian parents also joined um, the protest. And the press said, the press wrote something like, Christians also, uh, you know, Christian parents also do not like the idea of their children being taught about homosexuality. And, you know, uh, uh, that it's such an extraordinary way of generalizing, given that most Brits identify as Christian um, on the census, and when asked, "Do you believe in the Virgin Birth, in the miracles, and in the divinity of Christ and stuff like that?" they they answer no to that. So yeah. basically, they're they're culturally Christian. They're probably agnostic or atheist. Many of them, they identify as Christian because that's kind of the British thing, and they have you know Christmas tree at Christmas and stuff like that. And they eat Easter eggs. Those people don't aren't don't aren't objecting to their children being taught about homosexuality. It's like somehow 
these more extreme people are the more authentic representatives of that group. Maybe they wanted to do that too, to not single out uh, the Muslims who were protesting. Yeah, probably. Uh, due probably. to white guilt. I mean, I mean, the problem is this: this white guilt that we see in in Britain, you know, it it's really toxic and it can really kill people. Because, like, I remember uh, reading about uh, a security guard, a young security guard, who had who was suspicious of the Manchester bomber you know, at the uh, Ariana Grande concert, but who didn't search him because he didn't want to 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 be seen as racist. Yeah, well, we've had many um, incidents like that, most notoriously the grooming gang scandals. Exactly, and, and so, so this is a problem. It's crazy that people are not learning from those mistakes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, it's... Um, Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know, because we're talking about lies that could have been saved. Yeah. We need to get away from this framework of any encounter that is between a white and a non-white person is going to be tinged by and influenced by racism. Exactly. I think this is really a an idea that's come from kind of social justice, tinged scholarship originally, and has now become part a kind of widespread part of american political thought and now it's beginning to permeate elsewhere exactly um, it's spreading all over the world and clearly obviously racist incidents do occur etc but you if your immediate thought is okay this must be to do with racism then you just miss out on so many other important factors that govern human interaction i totally agree with you Yeah, it's true. I mean, this is why racist obsession, race obsession is a terrible thing, mm. you know, and um, because because if your goal is to go beyond that, you know, you know, you, you should wish for a post-racial society in which basically describing the color of the skin of somebody is just exactly the same thing as talking about a hair color or, or just eye color stuff like that like for example the fact that i'm black and when i say black it's just a description of a phenotype that's mm. all mm. you know this is a physical description that's all and it's not a racial category for me i don't believe in racial categories at all and it's like you know i have two kids or two different colors i wouldn't call like you know i have a son who's who has white skin and blonde hair you know even though he has facial features that are a little bit more african but I would never call him black because, you know, for me, it's just a description of a, you know, of a phenotype. That's all, you know, it's, just like, yeah. just like I would describe somebody, oh, there's somebody, there's, there's a person who's blonde or there's a person who's a, who's a redhead or a person has brown eyes. I mean, that's nothing more. Yeah. I mean, it would be, I, I think that it would be, um, odd to describe him as black in a way because that would imply that he's not related to his mother uh, yeah but th that's how they do it for example in the u.s mm, mm, yeah, yeah 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 which is uh, i mean that's a whole other conversation but the, the one drop rule and everything that's it's kind of ridiculous to me it makes no sense at all and yeah. um but, but 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 yeah and the problem is you know um 
yeah, the, the, the whole thing. I mean, I have no problem with describing somebody like Barack Obama as black just because you're describing the, you know, him physically, that's all. It doesn't mean that he's not mixed. But the problem is when I say it, it doesn't carry the same meaning as when Americans say it because I'm talking about a physical description. They're talking about a racial category. That's completely mm. different. Mm. Yeah. We need to separate out these things and have more, just a closer attention to specifics um, of situations, individuals, cultures, ideas. Um, there's all this kind of block thinking, um, which, you know, on, on woke left and kind of alt-right this is sort of some cultures are good, other cultures are bad. You know, some yeah. races are good, other races are bad. It's just, there's, it's such a fuzzy way of thinking. It drives me crazy. Yeah, I totally agree with you. This is why for me, you know, universalism is the only way. And this is what we should strive for. Absolutely. Um, Fred, is there anything that you have wanted to say or wanted to highlight that I haven't given you a chance to, to mention? Well, we've been talking for almost two hours, so I don't, know, I don't want to bore the people who are, who are going to listen to, to this podcast. I mean, no, not really. I mean, we've talked about a lot of different things. Uh, I mean, and, um, it, you know, I really enjoyed talking to you. And again, thank you for having me on your podcast. And um, I guess, you know, that's all I, I, I can say. I mean, uh, the fact is, I, I guess I'll just, re, you know, ask the question again. Why is it that there was so much focus on French secularism these past couple of months when it was completely irrelevant to the to to the events, you know that that had been ha happening. That we, that we, you know, you decided to have me on your podcast to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, for for me, that's th this question is fundamental. Maybe people should ask themselves the question, or, you know, because I, I've yet to to hear, you know, um, a satisfactory answer to this question. Yeah. Thank you so much, Fred. You're, you're welcome, and thank you. And I'll talk to you soon. Yes, we'll talk soon. Have a wonderful week, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Two for Tea. Your patronage helps to keep this podcast alive and flourishing. Your support means the world to me. Stay well, stay happy and have a wonderful week.